you would turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. This morning what we're going to be talking about is a topic that was requested and I'm certainly always happy to receive requests and, and about topics or certain passages to cover and lessons and I'm always happy to try to uh, work those in and uh, talk about those because we all have different things that we have questions on or we've, we've been studying about and and maybe we want to better know how we can talk about these things to others or answer a question that was brought to us and we want to better know how to answer that if you know in those times where people ask us certain questions so that's what we're doing here this morning we're talking about the collection and particularly what the church may use that money that is collected on the first day of the week what they may use that for in 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 and 2, a passage that we're familiar with, it talks about the authority for taking up the collection, where it says in 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 1, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also. On the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper, so that no collections be made when I come. This passage here, Paul is giving instructions to the Corinthians, the same instructions that he was giving to the churches of Galatia. And we can see in 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 17 that the things that he taught, he taught everywhere in every church. So this was not a unique concept for these churches here that he mentions here, but this is something that was to be expected. The churches take up a collection on the first day of the week. That's why we have the basket here on the up at the front so that we all have the opportunity to do this when we gather together here on the first day of the week. But as we think about this concept of taking up a collection and then the church gathering this money and accumulating this money, why is the church doing this? We see that this is something that is to be done, but why is it to be done? What is this money to be used for? How is this money to be used? That's a, that's a topic that we're going to cover this morning because there are instructions and principles in the New Testament that would inform us about the use of this money that's collected on the first day of the week. So we're going to talk about that here in our lesson this morning. But before we begin, I want to start with this point. Before we get into how the church may spend its money, there are some who have a question about the basic concept of a church treasury, as we often refer to it as. Is a church even authorized to have a church treasury, as we describe it? Because there are many people who argue that we shouldn't have, a church should not have a treasury, because that's not mentioned in the New Testament. You can't read about the church treasury there at the church at Corinth or at Jerusalem or things like that. The problem with with that argument is that while the name is not used, the, the term church treasury is not used in the New Testament. So we can agree with those who would make this point. We can agree on, on that part of it. That by name, no, it's not mentioned in the New Testament. But the concept certainly is mentioned. And we're going to see that here as we look in, in a couple of verses here. 
As you look back and, and if you have your Bibles open to 1 Corinthians 16, keep your mark or your finger there because we'll be right back here. But if you look over in Acts chapter 4, you see that churches had a way, and from the very beginning, the church in Jerusalem, they were collecting money from their members. In some way, whether we want to call that a treasury or something else, they were they had a way of collecting money from the members. In Acts chapter 4, and verse 34, it says, For there was not a needy person among them, for all who were owners of lands or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet. And they would be distributed for each as any had need. The apostles were the ones who were the leaders or the heads of the church there in Jerusalem as it was first starting. So you had these individuals here. They were not selling houses and lands and then keeping money themselves. And then they, as they saw needs, they would help people. They were certainly at liberty to do that. Ananias and Sapphira in the next chapter were condemned because they tried to lie about what they had given. And Peter said, well, you could have kept back some of it. You could have kept back some of it and done with it what you what you decided to do with it, but you lied to the Holy Spirit. But here, these, these individuals here that are mentioned in verses 34 and 35 of Acts chapter 4, they decided they were going to sell these houses and lands and bring the money to the apostles to help those who are in the church there in Jerusalem. And then, again, going back to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, what's interesting is that you have this concept of the treasury talked about here. He says, concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also. He said, on the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper. Now, some will make the argument that, well, there was a specific need that they were collecting money for. And so when the need was not there, then you would not have a collection. But Paul indicated here in these verses in, in 1 Corinthians 16 that the money that's being collected is going to be saved in some way, whether you call that a treasury, whether you put it in a bank account, what, however you collect it, however you save it, it's going to be saved in some way and not have some special collection that, well, when Paul comes, now we're going to gather up all of these funds now that he's here and then whatever's collected, that's going to be used. No, he says that there will be no special collections, no collections be made when I come. That the church would have money collected and money saved so that when the need would arise or when the time would present itself that the money needed to be used, then it would be available. There may be times where there are extenuating circumstances or an unexpected need that arises that then we might decide, well, we're going to give more on the first day of the week than we would otherwise give. But Paul says here that this should be done on a regular basis based on how you have prospered so that there there is not a need for these special collections to be made. Now, as we think about this treasury and how it can be used, we've talked about that there the church has some way to collect money and some way to save money until it needs to be used. Well, how then can that money be used? Well, there are, at least from what I could think of, three basic philosophies about how this can be used. 
When we collect money, when the church collects money on the first of the week, how can that money be used? There are some who believe that it can be used in any way that we want. And there are a lot of churches out there who basically operate under this principle that whatever is collected on the first day of the week or how whatever other time they take up a collection, that money can be used for anything and everything that they want. Anything that they believe will, will satisfy the members of the church, anything that they believe will appeal to those who are outside of the church, anything they want to do, they'll say, well, that's what we're going to use the treasury for. That's what we're going to use that money that's collected we're going to use it for whatever we choose, but that cannot be true. If we're going to follow what the Bible teaches, we cannot operate in that way. Because, as Colossians 3 and verse 17 tells us, we need to do all things, whatever we do in word or deed, do all by the name of the Lord Jesus. So we are not at liberty just to do whatever we want to do. And so the church has this money that's collected. Well, we want to take a trip to the Smoky Mountains or whatever it is. And so we're going to have the church take the money from the treasury and we're going to have this trip for and anyone who wants to go can go, but the church is going to fund this because that's what we want to do. You know, we have to do all things by the authority of Christ. Well, another idea is that the money from the treasury can be used in any way that an individual Christian could use his money. That if it's good for me to spend my money on a certain thing, then it's good for the church to spend their money on that thing. And there are a lot of people who, especially brethren, who believe this because on the surface it sounds reasonable that, well, if it's right for me to spend my money on this, to engage in this type of behavior or this type of good work, then it would be good also for the church to do this. However, we run into a problem then when we get to passages like 1 Timothy chapter 5 that talks about something being done that is undisputably a good work. Because it's talking about caring for widows. Those who are not able to care for themselves. Those who need assistance. And Paul in that chapter talks about the church caring for those who are widows indeed. Those who do not have someone to care for them. But what's interesting there is you look at 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 16. It says, If any woman who is a believer has dependent widows, she must assist them, and the church must not be burdened, so that it may assist those who are widows indeed. Now in this chapter, Paul is not talking about temporary help. The passage in Acts chapter 4 or 1 Corinthians 16, those were talking about temporary help, and Christians can be helped beyond what this is talking about here on a temporary basis. But here in 1 Timothy chapter 5, this is about ongoing help and ongoing support where these women, these widows, the ones who are classified as widows indeed, they would receive ongoing support and help from the church. That's a good, it's a good thing to help those who are widows. But Paul says here that if there are others who can help, particularly it mentions here that the woman who is a believer, if she has dependent widows earlier, it talks about the men and, and children and grandchildren, that if they are able to help, 
If they are there to help, they need to be the ones to help, and the church must not be burdened. You know, on a temporary basis, there may be things that happen that the church needs to step in and help, but on an ongoing basis, well, that's good for the children or grandchildren or others to help, but Paul said that's not what the church is there for. That's not part of the work of the church. So there may be things that are good things for us to do as individuals, but are not things that we're authorized to use the funds that are collected for the church to use those for. So the other philosophy there, really what we are left with, and what we're going to talk about in this lesson, is that we can only use the funds that are collected in the ways that are described in the New Testament. So if there are limitations, we can't just do whatever we want to do with it. And we recognize that there are certain things that we might be able to do that are good, but are not for the church to do. Then we need to see what, from the New Testament, what we can, what the church would be authorized to spend their money on. And the simplest way to do that is by looking at what the works of the church are. Because if we think about what the church is to do, then that would determine, or that would show us what the church is authorized then to spend the money that is collected on the first day of the week for. So we have to see what this is, what this is for, or what what the church may use its money for by looking at what the works of the church are. Now, for the sake of time, we're not going to get into each one of these points in in a lot of detail because we could spend a lot of time talking about each one of these. If you receive the bulletin from last week, and those who were not here, I tried to mail those out to those who, who were absent so you would get that, but if you did not receive a copy of that or have misplaced your copy of that, I think I have maybe one left here, and I can always make more if, if you need more, but or if we need to, to have more copies of that, and so if you need one, just let me know. But for the sake of time, we are going to go through these a little bit quickly. Just kind of summarize what we talk, or what's mentioned in that article in the middle of the bulletin. That what are the works of the church? And when we think about the works of the church, there are traditionally we talk about three works of the church. I'm going to mention four here, and I want you to hear me out before writing me off as a false teacher for mentioning four things that are the work of the church. But I think once we talk about these and break them down, I think you'll, you'll see why I, why I worded it this way. But the works of the church, number one is evangelism. That you have the work of preaching the gospel and spreading the gospel to those who are in the world around us. In 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15, Paul said, In case I am delayed, I write to you so that you will know how to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. So the church here, as Paul is describing it, and he's talking about, while this does have application to the universal church, he's mentioning, he's talking about the local church here with elders and deacons, that the local church is to be set up as the pillar and support of the truth. That means the local church is to be doing what 1 Thessalonians 1 talks about in sounding forth the word in the area where where the Thessalonians were and also in the regions around them. Well, that's what the church 
is to be doing. It is to be spreading the gospel. In any way that, that we're able to spread the word and teach it, we are able to try to reach those that we can. And so we use money from the treasury in order to do that. We can do that by supporting preachers who are here in this place. That's why the, the church helps support the work that I am doing here because of the work of evangelism that needs to be done. Churches can do that by sending preachers to preach to certain to other places. They can do that by supporting men in different locations. Paul talked about in 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 8 that he robbed other churches by taking wages from them to do service for you. So churches may do may support preachers in different locations. We may print tracts or booklets or things like that to use as teaching materials to help teach those who are around us. The church here puts an article in the local newspaper that can be used to help reach those who are outside of the church. Anymore with the way that social media is, I, I know that there are several churches who use money for advertising on social media that you are able to reach people in your community that way. All of these things that, that can be used that the church may spend money on. Radio programs. There are churches that, that have, have programs on the radio that they, that they do weekly or on whatever, sometimes daily. I've heard churches doing daily radio programs. Churches can spend their money, and that is all under the category of evangelism. That is a, a local congregation, and we'll talk about that in, as we get a little bit further in the lesson about how this is a local church doing this. Each local church is involved in its own work. But you have the work of evangelism, of spreading the gospel. You also have the work of edification. Well, what is edification? Edification is talking about the building up of those who are already Christians. So evangelism is taking the gospel and trying to reach those who are outside of the church. Edification is about strengthening those who are already in the church. This is talked about in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 16, where in describing the church, it says, From whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Here in this verse, Paul is saying that the church is a self-edifying body. And the way that this works is that each individual part, each one of us, each of us has a part to play in this, where each of us can encourage and build up one another and help strengthen the church. Every one of us is important in this regard. But he mentions there in verse 11, this is why he gave some as apostles and prophets, and of course we don't have those today. The apostles had to be witnesses of Jesus. We don't have any people who are eyewitnesses of Jesus. We don't have prophets today. That, that gift of prophecy has been done away with, as 1 Corinthians 13 talks about. And we've studied that on other occasions. But you also have evangelists, pastors, or mentioned elsewhere as elders, and teachers. You have those individuals in the church. Well, why are they there? Verse 12. For the equipping of the saints for the work of service, for the building up of the body of Christ. We are building up the church. And each one of us has a part to play, but he specifically mentions in verse 11 also the, 
We sometimes refer to them as offices in the church. Evangelists, pastors, and teachers, they have a work to play in this. And so you have the work of edification. Churches may use money from the treasury for this. And sometimes there is some overlap. We talked about printing materials and things like that for use, for use in evangelism. The same type of thing can be done for edification where you might have class materials that are printed or purchased for for use in Bible classes to help teach and train those who are part of the church and things like that that are going on. And we might even include the church building itself as we come together. We have a place where we can come together and assemble to build up one another. That would be included in this as well. You also have, and we've talked about this a little bit already with benevolence. Benevolence, as we see throughout the New Testament, whenever the church was involved in benevolence, the recipients were always and only Christians. We read in 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 1 that Paul was writing about the collection for the saints. In Acts chapter 4, in that passage that we read over there, where it mentioned that you have the money that was being collected from brethren there selling their houses and lands, bringing the sales to the apostles, and they were distributing them. Well, who were they being? Who were they distributing these funds to? Well, verse 32, it says, The congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and there was not, and not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. In verse 34, there was not a needy person among them. Among what group? It was the congregation. It didn't say there was not a needy person in Jerusalem. The church is simply not able to, even if it was authorized to do this, not able to take care of every needy person in the town or in the state or the region, county, or however broad we want to make this. The, the, a local church is just not able to do that. And that's not the mission or the work of the church, but caring for its own church is absolutely able to do that. But in every example in the New Testament, and again, that article in the bulletin, if, if you haven't read that, you check that out, that it lists all of these passages that talk about the recipients were always Christians and only Christians. And this is something that was done under extraordinary circumstances. Again, we read in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 16 where if there is ongoing regular help and there are others to help, they need to help that the support from the church is temporary. It's a time where you have the church being established and you have all these people coming to Jerusalem, staying longer than they intended to stay, and now they are in need. Or in Acts chapter 11 at the end of that chapter where you have a famine that was coming. <laughs> So the church at Antioch sent relief to the churches in Judea. And Paul and Barnabas brought the money there to, to them. That you have benevolence being carried out by the church to help those who are in need. And then the fourth one I want to mention here. And sometimes I think this gets lumped in together with edification. And, and that's fine if someone wants to, to do that. I won't quibble on that. But I do want to, to make a distinction here about worship. When we come together for worship, this is something that the church is to be doing. This is part of the work of the church. So we have these collective or corporate, we sometimes use that word, 
worship services. And from the very beginning, this is what the church was doing. In Acts chapter 2, after 3,000 souls were added to the church as they were baptized when they believed Peter's message there on the day of Pentecost, it says in Acts 2.42, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. They were engaged in worship. Verse 46, day by day continue with one mind in the temple. And then it also mentions breaking bread from house to house. But they were continuing to do this. Continuing to worship. Now at the very beginning, when all this started, they had they just continued to gather in the temple. That was not going to be the case on a permanent basis, but right at first that's what they did. But the church gathered together on the first day of the week. In Troas, in Acts chapter 20, they gathered together in the upper room there, in, the, in that second story room, where they gathered together there, and we remember Paul speaking to them, continued his message until midnight, and you had the individual there who fell asleep and fell out of the window and was taken for dead, and Paul raised him. But they were gathered together on the first day of the week in order to observe the Lord's Supper. We already read in 1 Corinthians 16 how they were taking up the collection on the first day of the week. So you have those two parts of our worship that are done on the first day of the week. There are other things that we do, singing and praying and teaching, that we also do on the first day of the week, but those are can be done other times as well because there's not a statement in the scriptures that limits those to the first day of the week. But when we think about how the church may use its money, it could be used to help facilitate this worship that we are involved in. The supplies for the communion, for the Lord's Supper, the church is authorized to spend money for those things. What is needed in order to help provide this place, again, sometimes we talk about the building as a, as part of the edification and that's fine but you could also put it in this category too if we're going to break them up where you have the church providing a place for worship to be done purchasing songbooks and things like that or some churches have other means to have the words of the songs projected on a screen they have to purchase licenses for that but that is helping to facilitate the worship of the church so these these are things that we read about in the New Testament that the church is authorized to do. Evangelism, spreading the gospel, edification, strengthening those who are already Christians, benevolence among Christians when there is a need that is there that needs to be met, and then worship as we do here on times like this. Many people want to include other things. We might put these under the category of social social works, whether it's meals or activities of some sort, entertainment and things like that. If you look over at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, there's a principle here that we need to remember. As we talked about, we looked at the different philosophies that, are, that may exist for how the church may use its money. And there are a lot of people, including brethren, who believe that, well, as long if it's something good for me to do, then it's perfectly fine for the church to do. And therefore, the church may use money to do that. However, when we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul is talking about, in addressing the abuses of the Lord's Supper here, he's also talking about what they had done, how they had, in a sense, replaced the Lord's Supper with something else or added something to it. 
where he said in verse 22, What, do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? In this I will not praise you. So here you have brethren who were coming together at a time when they should have been coming together to observe the Lord's Supper. Instead, what they were doing is they were taking this meal together, but not sharing it among one another. They were sharing it only among those who were able to provide the meal. They were excluding their brethren, which was not something that was good for them to be doing. But notice how Paul says to correct this. He doesn't just say, no, you need to be sharing this meal with everyone. He says, you have houses in which to eat and drink. Was it good for them to come together? Was it good for Christians to get together to enjoy a meal together? Absolutely. And that's what we read about in Acts chapter 2, where they were gathered together for worship, but then they're also breaking bread from house to house. They were, they were taking their meals together. That's something that definitely is a good thing. But Paul says that's not what the work of the church is. The church is not there to provide meals for you or to host these events. And he says in verse 34, if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that you will not come together for judgment. The remaining matters I will arrange when I come. So there may be things like meals and different types of entertainment that are good for a individual or a household to provide those things and to make those things available. Those things are good to do. But Paul says here, that's not what you come together for as a church. The church, you come together for worship. You come together to observe the Lord's Supper, not to take a common meal together. You want to do that together. You have houses in which to do that. You don't come together as the church when you assemble and the church help host and facilitate this. That's not what the work of the church is. Now, I mentioned this briefly already, but I want to, before we close, make sure we cover this point as well. That we talked about the concept of the treasury, that the church is authorized to collect money and to have some way to save money so it can be used when, when the time comes to use it. We talked about that this money needs to be used in the way that is authorized. And that is looking at the works of the church, of evangelism and edification and benevolence and also worship if we want to break that apart from the others. That the church may use its money for those things. But also when we think about this, that about the treasury and how the church uses its money, that the church is to use its money autonomously. Because each local church, as the Lord designed it, is to be autonomous. And what does that mean? If a church is autonomous, that means it is self-governing, that it is independent from other churches. And this is clearly seen when we look at the work of the elders, as we see in passages like 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 2, where in Peter, writing to the elders, he said to them, Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. And other passages can also be used on this point, but we see here that the elders, their oversight was over the flock that is among them, not over other churches, 
They didn't have any authority over the church that is down the road or church in the next town over. They were to shepherd the flock that was among them. The implication there is that that local church was to take care of its work and do its work. And the church down the road or the church in the next town over, they were to do their work under their the oversight of the elders there in that place. So the church is to be autonomous, self-governing, independent. You don't have churches with some tie together. We may know congregation or members in, in congregations around us. We may even visit them for gospel meetings and things like that, but there is no organizational structure that ties us together. There's nothing like that as, the, as is described in the New Testament. So we think about the work of the church. The church is autonomous. And the treasury that is where the church collects its money is to be used for the work of the church. That necessarily means that whatever funds are collected by this church are to be used by this church and not by some other organization or some other church. It's to be used by the church that is here. So if the treasury is used autonomously, we are not as a congregation here, to send money to an organization to take over the work that we are to be doing here as a church. This had been done in the past with the missionary society, that there was a controversy among brethren back in the middle part of the 1800s, where you had, as the church, without this, the gospel was spreading and people were, were hearing it and believing it and obeying it. The church was growing and then... Certain brethren got, in the, got this idea that, well, we can do more if we did what we're, do what we are doing now, where you just have churches working independently and, and preachers going out and preaching. If we had an organization where we could have churches send money to this organization, and then this organization then will get the preachers, pay the preachers, send them to different places, and so we'll have this missionary society and we're going to do things that way well the problem with that is the church if we're going to call anything a missionary society the church is the lord's missionary society the church is the pillar and support of the truth the church is the one who is sounding forth the word as first thessalonians 1 talks about when paul was writing to the church at corinth in second corinthians 11 verse 8 he said, I robbed other churches taking wages from them to serve you. He didn't say that I'm preaching for you and the missionary society over there in Jerusalem or Antioch or whatever it is, they're paying for me to come over here and work and they were funding his missionary trip wherever he was going. There was no society there. It was the church or several churches sending directly to Paul so that he could carry out the work. There was no other organization. Another example of this, you have benevolent institutions. There's controversy in the middle part of the, of the 1900s over this idea of orphans' homes and things like that where you have churches saying, well, we're going to do the work of benevolence, and so we're going to send money to this orphan's homes or some benevolent institution like that. And the problem with that is not that we don't want orphans to be helped, 
or whatever other other groups or widows are mentioned in First Timothy chapter five. It's not that we think they're undeserving of help. The difference is again, what can we do as individuals, and what can a church, what a church is authorized to do? We can certainly help orphans or anyone who is in need. Galatians six and verse ten tells us that as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people and especially those who are of the household of faith. And that's talking to us as individuals. And James 1 and verse 27, a verse that's often cited by some of our brethren who believe that churches can support these institutions, they'll say, well, James 1 27 tells us that we should do this. Well, if you look at James 1 27, it says, Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God our Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Who is visiting, or that word means helping? Who are, help, who are the ones who are helping the orphans and widows in their distress? It's the same one who are keeping themselves unstained by the world at the end of that verse. Or the ones who thinks themselves to be religious in verse 26, but don't bridle their tongue. They deceive their own heart. Their religion is worthless. Well, who is that? It's an individual. He's talking about if anyone thinks himself to be religious and does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his own heart. This man's religion is worthless. Or verse 27, to keep oneself unstained by the world. It's not talking about what the church is doing. It's talking about what we as individuals are doing. So are there people in our community or people around us who are in need? Absolutely. And as individuals or households, we can do certain things to help them. As we have the ability and opportunity to do that, but that does not mean that the church is doing this. The church is authorized to help Christians. And that is on a limited basis, on a temporary basis. But it is something that is that is limited in the Scriptures. But as individuals, we have more liberty. And so for helping these other ones that sometimes people think, well, the church needs to help this group or these people over here. Well, we need to, if we see that need, we need to see what we can to help that need ourselves rather than saying this is for the church. Also on this, with the treasury being used autonomously, the church does not send money to another church to fund the work that it is doing. This has been called, again, 60, 70 years ago now, the sponsoring church arrangement, where you have one church set up this work where they're going to have a radio program that we broadcast all over the country. Or they set up some other work that, that they cannot do on their own. And so then they solicit other churches that will help us in this work. And then we are going to, to take care of this work. We'll all be working together. Send your funds here. The elders of this church are overseeing this work. And we will take care of this work and make sure it's being done. The problem with this, not only is there a lack of authority for churches sending money to other churches to carry out works of evangelism or edification or things like that, it demonstrates a, a lack of faith in how the Lord set up His church. 
Again, we've read already in 1 Timothy 3 and verse 15 that the church, and in that context, that's a local church, is the pillar and support of the truth. A local church is able to do the work that God has given it to do. It is sufficient to do that. But many seem to not believe that. Think that, well, no, the church here really can't do this work, so we need to get money from other churches. Or the church here, well, we, you know, we're not really able to do anything except send money to another church, so we're just going to, to do that. No, this church here, and it doesn't matter what size this church is. The church can have 12 members or 1,200 members. The church, the local church, is able to do the work that God has given it to do without sending money off to some other church, without collecting money from, some, from other churches. The church as God designed it, working as He intended, is able to carry out the work that He has given it to do. So we're not to send money to another church, a sponsoring church, and then they take over the work, and then the church here, well, we're not really doing anything other than sending money, and then that church over there in the next town over or the next state or whatever it is, they're going to do the work, but we're just funding it. No, that's not, we don't read that in the New Testament. The treasury is used autonomously. The treasury is used by the local church to do the work of the local church. So as we close the lesson, and, and we've gone a little bit past what we normally do, and I appreciate your patience, but this was a, it was a topic that was requested and also one that takes a little bit longer to, to go through, which is also why I had that supplemental material in the bulletin article. So again, if you don't have that or no longer have the copy of the bulletin and need that, let me know and I can make sure you get a copy of that. But as we think about the treasury, as we wrap up the lesson, we need to understand that it is a privilege for us to be able to financially support the Lord's work. And we could also look at the fact that it is, as members of a local church, an obligation for us as well to give on the first day of the week. We talked about that not too long ago. But it is a privilege for us to be able to do this, that we are working together in this. We are participating in this together. But we are not free to use these funds in any way that we want. Because, in essence, it is the Lord's money. When we give on the first day of the week, and that money is collected by the church, it is the Lord's money. And so it is to be used in a way that He authorizes and He wants us to do. And this is by carrying out the works that He has given the church to do in the way that He has instructed us to do it. So that's what we are striving to do here. And there's always ways we can think about, well, maybe we could... Make a better use of funds if we do this instead of that. But as far as the basic concept, there are certain things the church is authorized to do and we need to be busy and, and funding those things with the money that's collected on the first day of the week. Now as we close the lesson and extend the invitation, we want to invite anyone who is not yet a Christian to become one. If you believe that Jesus is the Christ and you're willing to repent of your sins and confess your faith, you could be baptized into Christ to have your sins washed away. And if you've done that and need to make correction in your life, repent of sin, then we would encourage you to do that. To repent of that, to pray to God and ask Him for forgiveness. And if we can help you in any way, we'd be more than happy to do that. But whatever your need is, we invite you to come forward as we stand and sing.